Welcome to episode 189 of the Engineering Career Coach Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping engineers and technical professionals with both their personal and professional development. I'm your host, Chris Knudsen. I'm a practicing licensed professional engineer and certified program and project manager directing a major infrastructure construction program in the UK. But I'm also focused on inspiring engineers and project professionals about using leadership and knowledge to generate success for themselves and the clients. And because of that, continue to share my thoughts through my writings and through this podcast with my co-host, Anthony Fasano. Now, people had their doubts about this podcast taking off, but since inception, we've had close to 2 million downloads and have been cited by Forbes as one of the top 15 most inspiring podcasts for professionals. Thanks to all of you for helping us get to this point, because in the end, this is all about you, our listeners. So thank you. Now, in this episode, I talk with Paul Axtell about something all engineers are involved in, meetings. Not just the M word, these are the individual and team interactions that make projects happen. And Paul provides us with some great takeaways each of us can use to take our meetings from ordinary to extraordinary. And Paul is well positioned to be the guy who can help us with meetings. He's an author, speaker, and corporate trainer, and is the author of two award-winning books, Meetings Matter, and the recently released second edition of 10 Powerful Things to Say to Your Kids. He has also developed a training series called Being Remarkable, which is designed to be led by managers or HR specialists who want to support the personal development of their employees and take their organizational culture to a new level. Before we get started, this is a free show and our sponsors help us keep it that way. So always happy when you support them and us in keeping this free. And the sponsor is PPI. Are you trying to find the right step to further your career in the world of engineering? Do you need some positive perspective on how to prepare properly for your exam? Stay tuned as I'll share with you how you can get an exclusive 20% discount available only to our listeners. You're not going to want to miss out on this opportunity. Now, I want to give you a quote related to today's topic to frame our minds for the conversation. And that quote comes from Chris Fusel, and it's, as a leader, you must consistently drive effective communication. Meetings must be deliberate and intentional, and your organizational rhythm should value purpose over habit and effectiveness over efficiency. And with that, Let's get going with episode 189 with Paul Axtell. Hey everyone, now it's time to move right into the main segment of the episode. And today's topic is taking your meetings from ordinary to extraordinary. And I'm joined by Paul Axtell. Paul, welcome to the Engineering Career Coach Podcast. Chris, thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're going to just jump right into this because we're talking about a topic today that I'm going to go on a limb and say that all of our listeners are going to be interested to hear about, and that is meetings. Doing some research, getting ready for the podcast. Today's episode read that uh, you know it's anywhere between 36% and 55%, maybe the numbers are off, a couple factor of, let's say, two percentages points on either end, is what professionals spend their time during the week in meetings. And uh I know for myself, Paul, I spend, you know, sometimes I spend even more than 55%, more than half of my time during the working week stuck in meetings. What that means is for a lot of us that are out there in the industry as practicing engineers or project program professionals, we end up having then to make up the time on emails and reports and things like that in the evening or on the weekends. And that obviously takes away from life and from the other things that we're trying to do. So Paul, I'm really excited about having you come on the show today because we're going to be talking about something that all engineers all design professionals and project managers get stuck in, and that is meetings. As I mentioned, depending on the source, it's between, you know, let's say 35, 36, and 50, 56% for professionals. It just is just kind of a really massive open question. How do we get around this, what I'll actually classify as horrifying situation? Good starting question. 
First, I think we need a perspective shift. And I want to say this in a caring way. We need to kind of quit whining about meetings because you could say it's the work of an organization. It's clearly how you run projects. It's how you have influence in an organization. We've got to shift our perspective to it's part of the fundamental work that all people do. A second piece, I think, that after your core discipline, whether that's engineering or IT or project management, your ability to make a difference is really based on process skills, your ability to get a group of people together, have a conversation that forwards the project, forwards the initiatives, forwards whatever you're working on. And so mastering process skills is a core competency for anyone who wants to make a difference. I think what people are speaking to are, number one, their concern for time that's taken away from family and friends by catching up on undone work things. So that's a different question, which is how do you really maximize the time you need with yourself, by yourself? How do you get enough time for reflection? How do you get enough time in isolation so you can do deep work? If you're a design engineer, you need a couple hours a day to do design. It can't be interrupted. It can't be jumping from task to task. It's got to be, okay, I'm going to get into this and I'm going to stay into this until I make progress. I think the second answer here is let's not worry so much about the time in meetings, but let's make sure that the time we have in meetings is really, really good. So let's just have this goal out there that every meeting is going to be worth attending, something that you look forward to, something you're clear you wouldn't want to miss because that meeting moves the organization and moves my project forward. So, A, we got to get better when we're there. And I think it's a second question for people to examine how do you get individual time for yourself to really pursue that which you need to pursue alone. So a broad answer, but I I think we need a healthier outlook about meetings. We need to get to work on them. And then we've got the separate thing, which is how do you get really special time with yourself? Does that make sense? It actually makes great sense. I was just kind of doing some handwriting here right in front of me. That was actually a very useful piece of information for even for myself as I was doing some reflection on the work that I do. And that is, you know, you've got time and design engineers and, and project professionals have this time where they've got to do that deep work where, you know, they need literally to shut out the world. If you're working in a cubicle farm or an open office space, that's the time that you stick the head, the earbuds in or the headphones on and crank the music up and try to just put yourself in a cocoon, that that deep work where you've got to be thinking and really concentrating. And then there's a, a portion of light work where you're just cleaning out the emails from HR and responding to meeting meeting invites and things like that. And then, Paul, as you highlighted, you know, that there's the section of meetings. And I, I really like what you threw out there, which was the, you know, that the meetings are really about process skills. And I think that comes back to one of the things that engineers traditionally be good about, and that is process. So when we start looking at that process for making meetings uh, more optimized and optimized and, and really being able to deliver more bang for the buck, or if we want to be a little more savvy about that, that term called ROI or, or CBR. How can we better structure our meetings so that we are maximizing our return on investment of time and really feeling like, hey, I sat in this project meeting and I really came out of, not only did I go into it with an understanding of what I was doing, but I came out of it with a better understanding of where we need to go, accomplishing actions that have been arising, so on and so forth. How can we better structure those meetings to get that? If you just look at the preparation that you did for this 
particular conversation. You prepared for it. You put together a mental outline about how it's going to flow. You and I agreed about how we're going to interact with each other. We talked about how it's going to end. So anytime you and I treat a conversation that we've got ahead of us, like it really matters, we prepare for it. Now, certainly there's a lot of conversations where you and I could just go to coffee and say, here's what we're going to talk about. And we just kind of go where we'd like to go. But think about the number of people in the meeting. What number could you get away with that lack of preparation? Well, certainly you and I could probably get away with it with two of us, five of us. You cannot get away with no preparation if once you have more than eight people in a meeting. And certainly if you have 20, you've got to do a lot of prep work as the person designing and leading the meeting such that you're kind of honoring the time and talent in the room. Now, you can also imagine if everybody prepared for the meeting, the meeting is going to work. So it kind of starts with if this is a meeting that we need to have is worth having, then let's treat it as such. And then depending on the meeting and the topics, treating it like it matters means different things. But I also think if you and I should look at every conversation or meeting, let's say meeting ahead of us in the next week and basically say, is this still a good use of my time? Does this honor me and my priorities or does it honor me and my project's priorities? And if it doesn't honor the project's priorities, then we're in a different conversation, which is how do I decline going to this meeting and still honor the person who called it. So if you start to take charge of your own time, then you'll start to question the meetings that you're going to attend and you're either prepare and go in and add value or you find a way not to attend that meeting. And most people don't think they could decline a meeting. Well, then you've got work to do if you don't think you can decline any meeting that's already on your calendar. Paul, those are all great points, and I'd like to be able to tie that back into things that each of us as project professionals and engineers out there that are doing, because I'm an actual practitioner right now, so a lot of what you just said I've done in some shape or form, even this week as we're doing the interview here. There was a long-standing meeting where we had well over, and get this, there were well over 35 participants on it as a telecon that I canceled this week. We pulled the plug on it. And it was a reoccurring monthly call, but we made the decision after I went to a few of the key stakeholders and made the determination that, hey, is this still a value to all of us? Are we getting return on investment? And the answer was, well, no, because we've got this meeting or or I'm getting information from there. So we pulled the plug. And I also like your idea, you know, of of going through and you kind of looking at your calendar and making a determination, is this the best value return for myself on time? And for engineer managers that are out there who have staff, I think this is a really important question and an important task to, to take to hand because as you look at your as your calendar and if it's maybe filled up with 50% of your time is locked in meetings, you need to look through there and are there opportunities where you can let others step up and learn and grow as an engineer and as a project professional to be able to step into those situations and take that from you so that you can focus maybe on perhaps business development, growing the business, managing your area that you're working on. So Paul, those were all really good points. And I appreciate that. And again, I like the the idea of if you think about that meeting with a number of eight plus, that equals time and time equals money. So what a great way to think about that. If you walk into a meeting, there's 15 people sitting in there just mentally kind of run through how much money do you think you're burning 
just sitting in there based off of how much they're getting paid by hours. So that's a pretty interesting uh, statistic to try to throw out there. I did do some preparation for this podcast. And for those that are listening and kind of wondering how Anthony and I even come up with the ideas for these podcasts, it's often from us just doing reading. And uh, I happen to be a uh, voluminous reader of HBR and a number of other magazines. And, and Paul, that's, you know, as we were talking about, that's how I actually came across you was reading one of your articles in HBR. And we'll have those linked up in our show notes so that people can go and find you there. And the one that actually caught me, and that's how what introduced me to your body of work, was the issue of how do you respond if you're sitting in the meeting and you're put on the spot. And I think for engineers that are listening to this, that's probably a pretty important thing to kind of think about, especially for the younger engineers that are listening who are are new into the into the profession as to what happens if they're sitting in this meeting and their boss all of a sudden looks at them and says, well, you know, hey, Cindy, what do you think about this? And maybe you weren't quite prepared to deliver the right $50,000 answer. How do you respond if you're in that meeting and you're put on the spot? Well, one more time, I'm going to come back to perspective first. Even though the article was titled, we put on a spot, if we just change that to, if you're invited to share your thoughts, I mean, it truly is an invitation. And here's what we're up against. Human beings want to be comfortable. And if you got raised to be quiet and reflective, then not speaking is probably the most comfortable move that you and I have. But broad participation and people being self-expressed are at the heart of really good conversation. And yet we're fighting a couple of norms. Number one, most people go into most meetings with a background thought. It's way down there deep, so it's not like you have this thought and you know you got this thought, but the background design of people coming in is I don't have to speak if I don't feel like it. Now, you're not gonna get broad participation if everybody in that room or most of the people in that room have that basic premise in life. But then we make it worse by we telling project managers, look, you can't call on people because it might be uncomfortable. Well, how do you get broad participation? How do you get all the wisdom of the group with those two dynamics going on? You can't. So if you're a project leader, if you're a manager, you must call on people. Uh, you might have to do it in a gentle way, a thoughtful way. For the person who's going to be called upon, number one, I would take it as an invitation. You're more likely to have a great response if you have the agenda ahead of time. And for each agenda item, you say, what ideas have I got to share what questions or concerns do I have? But in the moment, if that question just comes to you, first of all, you can always decline and say, look, I don't have anything to add to the conversation that I think is going to add value. I think you can also say, wow, I appreciate being asked, but my group, our interests and concerns have already been addressed. I think you always, if you decline, know you can decline, you decline by saying, and I'm good with the conversation right now. You just don't do a quick answer. No, nothing. Good. Fine. You know, we want to be fully functioning engineers at this point. But then I think the most important thing is to set up your speaking by saying, I've got one question and one idea, or I have three comments about the topic we're having. That little bit of setup buys you a little bit of time, lets the audience know what's coming, and it organizes your thinking. So my best answer is you simply say, well, thanks for asking. I've got a couple things to say that I don't think have been expressed yet in the conversation. 
this is what they are. And always remember that you can decline, but when you decline, you want to decline gracefully and in a way that lets people know that you are still fully participating, you're in the conversation, you just don't have anything to say that hasn't already been said. Paul, those are great points. And I will say that I've got a unique perspective in that I'm project professional right now in the UK. And my experience here culturally working with the British is that meetings are actually run pretty darn effectively. And they are extremely good at being able to uh, call people out (laughs) in meetings and putting people on the spot. Um, I've seen it both used for good and for bad. But in the good respect, especially if we take it back into the American culture arena, one of the things that I think that, that really comes out from the effective meeting facilitator is that ability to be able to call on people and do it in a very graceful and professional way. Because, you know, something that we haven't touched on in the conversation, you know, I think that that doing that brings diversity into the conversation, diversity of thought when it comes to these meetings. And I really like how you laid out the graceful processes and ways of being able to give your, buy yourself some time, if you will, if you need to get your thoughts organized. You know, something I'll add from my military experience was that uh, we were taught very early on in our, let's say our briefing skills, quite frankly, or they really were from briefing skills, that when you got to the end and there was always the uh, ominous questions slide that came up at the end, was that if the senior officer lobbed a question at you that you didn't have the answer to, you would say, well, sir or ma'am, I don't have that answer at my fingertips, but I'll get back to you very quickly with the answer to that. And I think for the younger engineers that are listening, that can also be a good way of being able to buy yourself that leeway that says, hey, I'm an active participant of what's going on here and uh, very much want to be able to serve and provide value. I'll get back to you as soon as I can. So I think those are all great points that you laid right out there for us. As we've been talking about meetings and putting meetings together, uh, running them, and as you highlighted a little bit earlier in the conversation here about engineers using their process skills and, and using those skills to be able to bring optimization to the meetings, we sit in, all of us that are listening to this most likely sit in meetings where we have PowerPoints and spreadsheets and all kinds of other things that are up on the screen and being thrown at us. Paul, I know that you do a lot of work with companies. You've seen a lot of best practices that are out there. What's your take on, let's say, the artifacts that are in these meetings that that are the most effective? Are we talking about PowerPoint slides, you know, the proverbial death by PowerPoint spreadsheets, because engineers love spreadsheets, or are we better off just having like a written agenda that tells us what we're going to talk about so that we can then talk about it and then review what we talked about? And then what are your rationales for what you think is better, PowerPoint and spreadsheets versus the written agenda? Well, I like spreadsheets when you have a complex project or you're looking at a business set of uh, parameters so that it's easy to point out where we are, what we're looking at, what's the data that is the part of the conversation. PowerPoint would be the one that I think we should push back on the most because PowerPoint tends to shut down conversation. It basically puts people into a passive listening mode rather than an engaged mode. Also, if you use PowerPoint, just the design of a PowerPoint slide, four lines or less, six words or less per bullet, it leads to a lack of clarity because people think we understand what that particular bullet item means. And so we say yes. By definition, they're generalizations. They're broad statements, and they generally are not factual. So there's a risk with PowerPoint. If we just look at project reviews, 
I sat in on a meeting where there was six PowerPoint project reviews in a row with the leadership team. So each project review was designated 10 minutes. Well, first of all, you can imagine that these projects, people spent two days preparing their six or seven slides. And then if you're only given 10 minutes, it puts you into the mode of you're just transferring information, which means you could just as well have told your representative and the leadership council that your project is fine. Far better if you've got an hour, let's have two, maybe one project review. You take six minutes and tell us where you are, and then we're going to ask you tough questions that forward you personally and forward your project team. Like, what are you losing sleep over? And what are your next three milestones? And which of these are you in jeopardy on? If you could have any resource in the company, what would you ask for? So I would prefer project reviews be chances to train young engineers to be really good on their feet. And if you have a PowerPoint in only 10 minutes, you don't get that back and forth challenging conversation that makes the projects better. So I have a concern about PowerPoint. Same way, if you look at employee meetings, this is where group size gets up. It's very difficult to have an engaged conversation back and forth with large groups. And as soon as you have a PowerPoint, you basically say, I'm not really interested in an authentic conversation. I'm just wanting to kind of catch you up on some things. And then I'm going to ask if there's any questions. But if you don't give me enough time, I just had a uh, factory operations manager talk to a group. And normally I give him 40 minutes to come in, take six minutes, talk about what he's doing, and then I open up to the group. But this time, for some reason, he says, I've got all morning. And I said, okay, great. Let's see how long we can go. And the group asked wonderful questions for 90 minutes. And we get into topics they would never get into. And the manager had a chance to talk about what he was worried about and what he was proud of. And that would not have happened, I don't think, if he simply came in with a PowerPoint or a time restriction that told the audience that, okay, we can do this, but I need to do it quickly. Quick answer would be technology when it adds to the conversation. No technology if it takes away from the conversation. We just stay with that for a second. If you're going into a meeting, it should be no devices unless that device is required to add value to the conversation. Anthony Fasano here. I just want to give Chris and Paul a break for a moment and recognize our sponsor for this episode of the podcast, WPI. If you're in the market for a master's degree, you're going to love our sponsor. Worcester Polytechnic Institute was one of the first engineering and technology universities in the U.S., and they now offer their most popular graduate programs 100% online. Level up in robotics, data science, power systems, mechanical engineering, biotechnology, systems engineering, and more from anywhere in the world. Stay tuned for more about WPI later in this episode. For now, back to Chris and Paul. That's a great point. And I, I'm chuckling because I'm, uh, I'm guilty of that <laughs> myself, uh, either between having a laptop, an iPad, or an iPhone with me when I'm walking into a, uh, to a meeting. One of the reasons I do that is because I know that I'm going to walk into a meeting and there's going to be dead periods in it where my 100% undivided attention is absolutely not even required 
which obviously is a is a indication that the meeting is not, you know, maybe not the best use of my time, uh, except for small portions of it. But uh, so I've I've come very clean, and of course, anybody who lists who works with me that listens to this podcast is going to know now uh, that that happens. Yeah, I think that's indicative of of maybe a lot of professionals that are out there that know they're going into meetings that are going to be uh, maybe not a one hundred percent tap into their into their uh, you know cerebral cortex, and they're going to have this opportunity to be doing uh, double time. You know, I was, I was jotting some notes down here. You know, Paul, as you were talking about that last one, and really talking about the you know, project status reviews, which a lot of engineers are going to be you know spending time in. And one of the things that I've found over the last year of doing a lot of these uh, PSRs and, and even at the programmatic level is we have, and I think part of this is because we just haven't had the time to put the slides together, have, have really moved away from PowerPoint purely because of, at least I know from my own team's perspective, we just don't have the time to put the slides together. And we just go in with this written agenda with a series of questions on it per project and then an opportunity to kind of go through a SWOT analysis and really look at you know the strength, weaknesses, opportunities, or threats, stroke risks uh, that we may be looking at. And those tend to have been, I think, more productive, as you've kind of highlighted, than uh, than perhaps a PowerPoint presentation, which I tend to think is really more beneficial. I'd be interested in your thoughts on this. I think those are tend to be more beneficial for like an informational type of presentation or meeting where you're trying to maybe give senior leadership like an executive board information for a decision versus an actual productive meeting where you're trying to make decisions and at least where I work we call it making sausage you know where you're really kind of in there mixing things up so you know what are your thoughts on that you maybe use powerpoints for these you know for these executive board type levels but if you're going to make sausage keep it simple that's perfect i mean you want to honor the organization that you're in. And if they're used to PowerPoint, then create some powerful PowerPoint. But if you want the thinking of the people that you're talking to, then you're going to have to find a way to build in time for that. But you're absolutely right. So I like the SWOT questions, but I would go open-ended first. I'd walk in and say, okay, so we're going to talk about this project. Let's just start with, what's the truth? How's everybody feeling? How are we doing? Does anybody have any concerns about it? Is this project moving or not? Is it moving fast enough or not? So let's just have an open-ended conversation for 15 minutes here. Everybody get in and want to get in. But how is this project going really? Because if it's open-ended, then they can take it where they'd like to take it. Then you can come back and say in a more focused way, okay, let's look at strengths, weaknesses, threats, that kind of thing. I'm a big fan of, can we just talk? If we get back to project reviews, or if I'm on the board of directors, yes, I'd like that kind of, okay, let's all get on the same page, give us the background so we are all in the same place. But then I just want to ask, you know, what are you worried that I'm going to ask you about that you're not prepared to answer? I would like these questions that get to the heart of the matter and get to an authentic conversation where we can learn from each other as quickly as we can. In everyday life, the question for me would be, Chris, okay, you've got five minutes here. What's your story? See, I don't know where you might take it. Maybe you're going to tell me about the military background. Maybe you're going to tell me about music and engineering and that combination. But I like a probing, open-ended question that I can't anticipate where you might take the answer. That's a great perspective. 
especially in meetings for engineers who maybe are used to going into meetings where there is everything's very prescriptive. You know, you know, kind of know from the structure of how things are going to work. For those that are listening, I'll let you know that right now that, you know, as Anthony or I are preparing for one of these interviews, we absolutely don't ask the guests close-ended questions. We always are asking open-ended questions. In fact, that's part of one of the reasons that we prepare for it, because as we looked at the questions that, you know, just for the interview today that you and I shared back and forth, they were, for the most part, pretty open-ended questions. I really went out of the way to try to make sure that I never gave you an opportunity to just give me a yes or no answer. Yeah, you did good. So that's a great way of thinking about taking that into your meetings, which kind of leads me to my next open-ended question, which has to do around the importance of agendas. And as we're sitting here talking to you about asking open-ended agendas, introducing the SWOT analysis to give some structure and process to a meeting, what's your take on the importance of agendas? And I'll even add to that the importance of agendas and perhaps even a meeting facilitator to ask those open-ended questions and, and to really get people involved. And what would you recommend as kind of a, a pro level, like a professional level tips for making super effective meetings? I want somebody in charge of managing the conversation. I prefer not to have outside facilitators because I think this meeting skill is so important. You want it in the organization. And if you get dependent on outside facilitators, eventually you're going to resent it. So I'm a big fan of. Let's have somebody charged with facilitating this conversation. I actually like assigning that to the junior person, not as a fat, hard, fast rule, but you know, if you ask the junior person in your group to come up with the agenda, they've got to talk to everybody who's attending. They've got to decide, okay, what's the best way to talk about this? I also, in terms of facilitating the conversation, if there's five topics, we might shift who's managing the conversation topic by topic. Because I want somebody who's less involved in the content to be managing participation and staying on track. But clearly, if there's four or five of us, you don't have to worry about that. Once it shifts above eight, then I would like somebody designated with permission to manage the conversation in a rigorous way so that it's well done. So that's about facilitation. Agenda, I remember I had a, uh, I basically do training workshops where the promise is I can make you five times more productive, work less hours and be less stressed. And I had a gentleman who had just joined the corporate company from the military. And he said, Paul, he says, I'm glad you spent some time talking about meetings because when I came here, I made myself a promise that I would not attend any meeting for which I did not have an agenda 24 hours in advance. But after three weeks, I realized I would never attend a meeting because there were no agendas forthcoming. If I trust the person who's going to lead the meeting, then I can get the agenda right when you start. Also, I need to, that if you expect me to prepare and have thoughtful comments and questions, some of those topics I need ahead of time. So I don't mind if it's going to be a written agenda so that I have a sense of what this meeting is about and how much time we're going to have for each topic and what the outcomes are for each topic. But you need to be thinking about, do I need to prepare? One of the mistakes we make is that we think we can put materials in front of people and they can digest those materials and come up with thoughtful comments and questions in the moment. That's not possible. So clearly, if you need the thinking of the group, you should say, do I need to give them a chance to prepare? The agenda 
Chris, you can save 25% of the time in meetings. You didn't ask that question, but it's a typical question with two things. From a participant level, everybody speaks in a focused way. And what I mean by focused speaking is you're clear, you're concise, and everything that you say is relevant. And if people just train themselves to be clear, concise, and relevant, they don't take so long to express their questions and comments. The other, however, that will reduce the time of meeting dramatically is stay on track, which means if we're talking about topic A, all the conversation is about topic A until we're ready to go to a different topic. Well, an agenda can help with staying on topic if everybody knows what we're talking about, how long we're going to talk about it, where we want to be at the end of talking about it for 40 minutes, and what we're looking for from the people in the meeting. So that's the simplest process track. So there are some very formal process tracks like SWOT analysis, where we're going to talk about strengths and weaknesses. But every conversation needs a, a beginning and an end in basically how we're going to talk about this. So the question is, what kind of agenda do we need to help people prepare? And then what kind of agenda do we need to help us stay on track? The third question about how do you make meetings a lot better? I think the first one, we go all the way back to perspective. If people, if organizations would get this is a core competency and that if you have really good meeting skills, you have an advantage over every other organization you're competing with. That's from the organizational perspective. My experience too, Chris, is it's not an organizational competency. It's not on leadership competencies. It's missing as a critical skill. The other would be from the individual point of view is if you really want to have influence in an organization, your ability to convene people and make progress in that meeting and after the meeting, it's pretty much, it's a deal breaker about your career. Ultimately, the people that get it ahead have social skills and process skills. I think the other things to pay attention to is, is senior management role modeling and working on getting better in meetings. If senior management cares about the meetings they lead and is willing to be vulnerable about, okay, I'm working on staying on track in this meeting, or I'm working on getting more people in the conversation in this meeting, or I'm working on us being able to tolerate disagreements. So if top management would say, we need to get this and I'm going to work on myself first, it wouldn't take long for that to trickle down. The next point for me is maybe shifting a bit. It's what percentage of action items in a meeting get completed before the next meeting? Most teams, project teams, groups, complete about 50 or 60% of the action items agreed upon during a meeting. That's insufficient if you want to feel like you've got a really high-performing group. The target needs to be 85%. All of us in engineering and manufacturing know that if you want something, you've got to measure it. You cannot expect to get any result that you're not tracking and measuring. That's why people wear Fitbit watches, so they know how many steps they took. Not many teams keep track of how many action items they complete. So that would be another thing that would, you can have whatever conversation, but if you're completing 85% of the action items agreed upon, you'll start to feel pretty good about yourself. So process skills, people leading the meetings, treating it like it matters. I think the other piece would be closure, which is 
before we move from topic A to B, topic B, we go through the three or four key pieces of closure, which is asking, are we all clear about what we talked about? Is everybody aligned with what we're talking about? Have we nailed down next steps? And is everybody ready to move on? So doing the wrap up, the closure piece, a little slower, a little bit more deliberately will improve the conversation occurred ahead of that. Yeah, Paul, those are all master tips. And for those that are listening, I think one of the great things about podcasts is you can actually hit the rewind button and go back a couple minutes. And I'd really highly suggest if you weren't taking notes and maybe you're sitting there listening to this in your car or on a commute, when you get to a place where you can go back and hit the rewind button and back it up and take notes as what we just went through. Paul, that was like a masterclass in how to run an uber effective meeting. I guess one of the things I feel validated about is a lot of the the really effective meetings I've had an opportunity to witness over the last year, the program that I'm directing have incorporated elements of that, of what you just laid out. Are we hitting 85% or plus of action items or actions that arise being closed from one meeting to the next? No, uh, not anywhere close, which is obviously some area that I've just taken note and I actually highlighted it (laughs) to go back and talk with my knowledge manager. But those are all great points that you just laid out. And the fact that I think, again, it just highlights again, one of the things that we've ta- we've tapped into, which is the, the necessity to be prepared, because I think the preparation piece is so important as you step into this with a, whether it's an internal, and I agree with you, it needs to be an internal facilitator that's running this, and the importance of the soft skills that come from being able to really orchestrate and guide effectively a meeting are such important skills. And for the younger engineers that are listening to this, This gets back into a lot of what Anthony and I talk about repeatedly, which has to do with regards to communication skills, interpersonal skills, that the EQ, if you will, the emotional intelligence portion of it, of what we do as engineers. It's not just designs and spreadsheets and and, uh, code and, and things like that. It's the ability to interact with people and listen to them. And good facilitators in meetings have that ability to be able to use process and structure but also have that ability to communicate and to be able to read the audience and be able to play the crowd, as they, if you will, as they go along. We're coming up towards the end of the interview here, which is unfortunate because I have a lot more questions to ask you. So I'm just going to really kind of key this in on a couple of additional ones here that I think uh, are, are really going to affect our audience and they may have some questions. So one that, that I think some of our audience members are going to bump up against, I know that I have over my professional career, and that is... You don't own a meeting that you happen to be a participant in, and the meeting is just horribly being run. There's no agendas. There's no structure. People are rambling on. Essentially, they're doing all the bad behaviors that you just talked about not doing for effective meetings. How can you get that meeting to be moving where you want it to go? You don't own it, and you want to get it a little bit more fit for purpose. Do you have any tips for our listeners of what they can do to kind of get those meetings back on track? I think there's one that has the most leverage. In every meeting you attend, you have a right to ask for whatever you need to be effective in that conversation. If you need a little bit of background before the conversation starts, ask for that. If you would like to hear from some other people in the group who haven't spoken, ask for that. If you'd like more time to spend with the materials before the conversation starts, ask for that. If you would like the action items read back and dates put on them so that you can be clear about what you've promised, ask for that. So you have a right to ask for whatever you need to be effective in the conversation. 
whether that's clarity, whether that's process changes, whether that's participation levels. There's a good chance that if there's something missing for you, it's missing for other people. It does remind me, though, if you look at social skills, one of the most important influence skills, social skills, is the ability to state a problem without making anybody wrong. And I just had somebody come through our house and try to give us tips on how we ought to change it so we could sell it. And she worked really hard to voice what she thought were complaints in a way that wouldn't make us feel wrong. And she had a technique which says, let me, I'm just, I like to think out loud here. And sometimes I change my thinking while I'm talking out loud. And I thought, you know, that's pretty masterful because if you brought up something, then I could simply say, well, Chris, I just want to think out loud here about what you just said. And uh, sometimes I change my mind while I'm talking about it, but I feel like I need to push back on what you just said so that we end up kind of being aligned on this. So that's a skill. If there's something that's not working in the meeting, how do you bring it up? And you're going to need to do that everywhere in life. You're going to need to do it with the people you live with. You're going to need to do it with close friends. Is How do you talk about something that's not working for you in a way that doesn't have any blame? or judgment about it. I think the other thing is you can offer. So if you have a meeting and it typically is not well thought out, you can say, hey, I've got some time. I'd be willing to talk with everybody and uh, identify the agenda items that seem to make the most sense for everybody. I'm a big advocate for written summaries coming out within an hour. Okay, you could offer, you know what, I've got time, I like to write, how about I take on capturing this conversation for everybody? Or I know we're interested in completing more action items, I'd be willing to follow up with everybody between now and the next meeting to make sure these things are still visible to you, that nothing comes up that's going to interfere. So I'd be willing to do that. So two parts, one, ask for what you need to be effective and offer to supply those parts of the meeting preparation, design, and leading that aren't present. I think those are the two moves you've got. Yeah, those are great, great insightful points. And I really like what you just shared about your experience with the lady that you're working with who's trying to help you sell your home. And what a great way to be able to effectively make someone feel comfortable about the fact that maybe you're not comfortable with what they're saying. So that's an absolutely great way of doing that. This has been a great conversation with you. So where can people learn more about the work that you're doing and how can they get in touch with you? Well, the books are available on Amazon or my website, which is just my name, paulxdale.com. People can just email me. I'm very open to interacting with people directly so they can email me at paulxdale at macmac.com or they can follow me on LinkedIn. So I view myself as very approachable and I'm willing to share what I've got. Um, So I hope people find that to be a true authentic invitation and take me up on it. I would like to know what people took away from the conversation, what resonated with them and what struck with them. Yeah, absolutely, Paul. And any insight that Anthony and I get, especially on feedback from the podcast, we'll definitely be sharing that with you. And uh, for those that are listening, you know, hey, can you reach out to Paul? Yeah, you absolutely can. (laughs) Obviously I did, and he's here on the podcast. So please take him up on that offer and we'll have links in the show notes to Paul's book. So you could reach right out there and grab a hold of those. Again, that was, I came across his work through uh, HBR 
uh, for those that are readers of that. And then I enjoyed reading his book, uh, Meetings Matter, Eight Powerful Strategies for Remarkable Conversations. Get out there, get a hold of it. It's awesome. You can get your hands on it at Amazon.com. Paul, thank you again. This has been some great insight and information. He's going to join us uh, for the Take Action Today segment of the show, and he's going to share some insight on an action that you can take today to take your meetings from ordinary to extraordinary. So stand by. Now it's time for our Take Action Today segment of the show. But before we get moving into that, I want to take a moment to recognize our sponsor for today's episode, PPI. Engineering career advancement starts with licensure exams and the right place to gather exam info. All practice materials and multiple review options come from PPI to pass.com. Now, PPI has helped over 4 million engineers pass their licensure exam and become leaders in their fields. Best of all, they have practice bundles, online subscriptions, and practice exams that prepare you to pass the first time. Visit PPI to pass.com to learn how you can start preparing for your exam right away and take you one step closer to your next career advancement. That's PPI, the number two, P-A-S-S.com. And I also have a 20% off promo code available to all of you, our listeners of the podcast. Just use promo code T-E-C-C-8 on PPI's website for an exclusive 20% discount. Again, that promo code is T-E-C-C-8. All right, Paul, talk is cheap and action is what matters. Uh, and when it comes to developing personal or professionally, that's really what it comes down to. You, know, you just, you got to be able to really do it. So with that in mind, what's one action that each of our listeners can take today to improve their performance in the next meeting that they're going to be attending? Yeah, good question. And really, it's about training yourself to notice things that you're not currently noticing. Because if you change your awareness, in that moment, it puts you at choice. So I'll give you two. One would be notice who's not yet participating, not yet in the conversation, and invite them to join. If there's six of you that go out for a beer, I would bet after 15 minutes, there'll be somebody who hasn't been in the conversation yet. So train yourself to notice who's on the outside, who's not yet participated, who hasn't responded to a question in a meeting. The other thing I would encourage you to train yourself to notice is who interrupts who and what happens to the person who is interrupted and the conversation that was interrupted. If you do that, you will discover times when people need to be checked in with, conversations need to be, I like to think about going back on the tape, you need to go back in the conversation because the conversation was interrupted and it was one that the group needed to stay with longer. So those would be my two action items, Chris. Hello, Anthony Fasano here again. And before I let Chris wrap this one up, I do want to take a minute to recognize our sponsor for this episode once again. Thanks again to WPI for sponsoring this episode. Their part-time online graduate programs are specially designed for the working professional's hectic life. You'll earn the same degree as on-campus students without pressing pause on your career. Find out why WPI's faculty was named number one in combining research and teaching by the Wall Street Journal. Visit go2.wpi.edu forward slash TECC to explore over 15 graduate degree programs in science, technology, and engineering. That's go, the number two, dot wpi.edu forward slash TECC. If you've been thinking about grad school, this is your sign. 
All right, Chris, take us out. Paul's insight and knowledge on meetings is exceptional. I really enjoyed my time speaking with him and putting this episode together because I do spend over a third of my work hours, and sometimes it's even over half of my work hours in meetings. And I've become very committed to many of the best practices Paul hit on and recently shared some of what I've learned from experience in the past year. Namely, a meeting has to have a defined purpose, a defined structure, a facilitator, a record of actions and decisions, and attendees who are prepared. And you can go check out uh, the article that I wrote about this just recently uh, in the show notes. We have it all linked up there. I think the big takeaway is this. Meetings are the way that engineers and project professionals make things happen. It's how we move forward. It's how we solve problems. It's how we take a project from concept to use. So don't fear them. Use them as a tool to get things done. I hope you enjoyed this episode today. I know I certainly enjoyed preparing for it and my conversation with Paul. And we'd love to hear your feedback, uh, any comments, maybe even questions that you might have. Just go to engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. That's all one big word, engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. And you're going to find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to all the resources, the websites, books, anything else that we mentioned that was of note in the episode. And there you can also check out the schedule for our upcoming live webinar for the month. And you can do all of that again at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Thanks for listening. The strategies that you heard in this episode will be of no use to you unless you take action and start to implement them in your career immediately. To help you do that, we have designed a system that you can use at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. It combines live monthly webinars with PDHs, plus a private forum giving you access to coaches and premium content focused on helping you build your management and leadership skills. Join us for our next live webinar at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org, and we'll help you engineer your own success.